Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, September 12th, 2022. Today, we begin our four-part mini-series on midwifery, leading up to National Midwifery Week, the first week in October. As you all know, I'm not a midwife, but I am a big fan. Midwives have been the providers of prenatal, delivery, and postpartum care throughout history, and this continues to this day in many parts of the world. So I'm very pleased to spend the next four weeks focusing on certain aspects of midwifery. Today, we're going to redrop a podcast from 2020 titled We Love Midwives that I did with my friend and colleague, Lauren Abrams, who's a midwife at Mount Sinai in New York City. The following three weeks will all be devoted to home birth, which is an interesting and quite controversial topic I get asked about a lot. So... Enjoy the next four weeks on midwifery and home birth, starting with today's podcast with Lauren. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. We're here today with Lauren Abrams, who's a certified nurse midwife, who's been practicing midwifery since 1993, was the director of midwifery at Mount Sinai for six years before she said, I do not want to be an administrator. I want to be with patients. Lauren, thank you for coming at Healthful Woman. We're so happy to have you here. Oh, it's totally my pleasure, Nady. Thank you for having me. So just so our listeners understand, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? What's your story? Well, I was at, I'm was i from New York originally. I was born on Long Island in Glen Cove. When I was three, my family moved to Hong Kong, and we spent eight years there, which I think probably sparked a an interest in international travel. We moved back when I was 11. I graduated from high school. I went to Amherst College and was an anthropology major, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but became interested in feminism and women's rights. And when I graduated from college, got a job as a counselor in a Planned Parenthood clinic in Washington, D.C. And that's where I learned about midwifery and women's health and decided that I wanted to be a midwife. So you went to nursing school specifically because you wanted to be a midwife as opposed to sort of doing nursing and then deciding afterwards you want to do midwifery. Exactly, exactly. The program that I did is a special three-year program that includes nursing. It's an accelerated nursing program where you do get your RN and then you get a master's in nursing with a specialization in midwifery. Would most people who end up being midwives, do they start out like you did knowing they wanted to do it or are most midwives people who were nurses first and then sort of said, oh, I love labor and delivery and I want to transition into midwifery? That's a great question. And the answer reflects the history of midwifery in this country, at least the recent history. I would say probably most midwives in our country started out as nurses and then went on to midwifery school. But there is a growing number that did not become nurses first. And there are three, essentially three pathways to become a midwife in this country. One is the nurse, become a nurse first, work as a nurse, and then do a two-year program that gives you a master's and a certificate in, in midwifery. And probably the majority of certified nurse midwives in this country have done it that way. 
There's also, there are a couple of programs like mine. I went to Yale and then there's one at Columbia where you can combine the nursing and midwifery in a three-year program. There is another path to midwifery where you end up with a degree, you end up as a certified midwife, not a certified nurse midwife. And this is a three-year program that requires a bachelor's in anything pretty much to enter and a lot of prerequisites. When you finish, you take exactly the same qualifying exams as a certified nurse midwife, but you're not a nurse. There's been actually, since these programs started, there's been research done showing there really is no difference in skill and competence between the two the two types of midwife. Meaning that for most midwives, they wouldn't need the skills gained specifically in nursing school as opposed to exactly. midwifery school. Exactly. And in fact, in most countries, Midwife, midwifery is a separate profession from nursing completely. Oh, interesting. Okay, so meaning mm-hmm. in other countries, they people just go right into midwifery without nursing. Exactly. And how did they get sort of combined in the U.S.? Is that a historical thing or has it yes. always been that way? It is a historical thing. Initially, midwifery in this country, midwives in this country were traditionally trained. They were mostly immigrants and or slaves who came here from other places. Midwives were traditionally trained, not formally trained, but had knowledge and skills passed on from other midwives. And midwives attended most of the births in this country until the beginning of the 20th century, maybe, maybe a little bit before that when obstetricians and doctors realized that they could make a lot of money by attending births and began to medicalize birth and talk about midwives as sort of dirty and unskilled. There was a lot of racism involved in this process as well. Midwives of gradually stopped attending births as more births began to happen in hospitals with doctors. Dr. DeLee had a lot to do with this, actually, in the beginning of the 20th century. And then what happened was birth became very medicalized, but then there was a need, there did become a need for midwives because there were more births than obstetricians could handle and also more births in poor areas than obstetricians wanted to handle. And so public health nurses teamed up with obstetricians and started to develop formalized nurse midwifery programs that required nursing skills before before midwifery training. So they sort of like reinvented for worse or for better midwifery into something more formalized. Exactly. Got it. I mean, like what you're saying, when, when most births in this country were attended by midwives, I mean, most births in the history of earth were attended by midwives because obstetricians, I mean, we didn't exist before, you know, whatever, a few hundred years ago, there wasn't, there wasn't such thing as an obstetrician. It was all midwives. Exactly. And in most other countries, most other European countries, Asian countries, midwives do at least half the births where here it's maybe eight to 10% of the births in this country are attended by midwives. Right. But I assume that in other countries, one of the things that may be similar is it's probably moved from an apprenticeship type of training to something more formalized in many yes. other countries, even if not in such a maybe nefarious way, it was it's done because that's how everything is, has sort of progressed over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But these are midwifery programs, not nursing programs. Right. Which makes a lot of sense. And so would you so nowadays uh, in the U.S. at least, how would you say, you know, what is a midwife? What does a midwife do? 
a quick way to put it is a midwife is an expert in normal pregnancy and birth. So midwives are trained in prenatal care, also in well woman care, annual exams, contraception care, routine GYN care, and in attending uncomplicated births. How would you define an uncomplicated birth? A birth that doesn't require an intervention. Right. Okay. And I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that what you said other about the well woman care, that many midwives do what we would call like outpatient type of visits. You know, someone yes. has, needs a checkup or they have a specific problem, whether it's related to pregnancy or not, just for gynecology. And they do that. Exactly. Exactly. Or contraception. We insert IUDs, we place contraceptive implants, we can manage basic well woman care. Is the training in the U.S., I know there's different, you know, sort of paths to it, but would all midwives be trained in all of those different things? All certified nurse midwives and certified midwives, yes. Well Woman Care is a part of these formal programs. The third way to become a midwife in this country, there is there are still what we can what some people call direct entry midwives who do not complete an accredited education program but go through more of an apprenticeship. Those midwives tend to focus on pregnancy and birth and don't tend to provide contraceptive or DIN care. Got it. And then in terms of, I assume, even though uh, what you said people go through the more traditional training programs are all trained in that, I presume that midwives, what they actually do varies between person to person, geographically, you know, every system and, and whatnot. Yes, exactly. Right. Because I mean, there's some midwives who are like on labor floor the entire time and others who yes. almost never step foot on a labor floor and either yes. have nothing to do with births or whatever. Yes, exactly. Interesting. And and you said that is different from other countries or it's similar to other countries? I believe it's different from other countries. I do believe in most other countries, midwives really do focus on pregnancy and birth. They don't provide as much well woman care or care outside of uh, the reproductive health cycle. And do you think that's related to just sort of how our health system is in general that, you know, it's because it's not maybe socialized as it is in other countries and maybe it's more difficult to get these visits through doctors and so you need other providers who are available or is it just a cultural thing or hard to tease that out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think perhaps it's related to the fact that certified nurse midwives in this country, that certified nurse midwifery was born out of public health nursing, and that because of public health nursing and the importance of well woman care and contraception in public health, that was incorporated into nurse midwifery training. Interesting. That's just my guess. Interesting. So, I wanted to get in a little bit with you about exactly how is it different being cared for by a midwife than maybe an obstetrician. I know if you know anyone looked at the two of us, they would just say, these two are the same person, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing different about us at all in terms of anything. <laughs> but but um, you know, I think a lot of people in this country, a lot of women in this country really don't understand what the difference is and sort of they are cared for by a midwife or by a doctor just by happenstance. They don't make a necessarily a conscious choice one way or another. And I think it would be nice to maybe help people understand some of the differences so they could make a choice if they have an, an opportunity to. And so yeah. how do midwives do things differently 
maybe from how doctors would do it? That's a great question. And I think it has to do with the approach. Midwives approach pregnancy and birth. And believe me, Nadie, there is absolutely no judgment in this, in my saying this. <laughs> no worries. Lay, lay it on. I'm ready. Um, you know, when, when you go to medical school, you're, what you're trained in is to take care of sick people right? Um, medical school is, I don't know because I haven't been to medical school, but I imagine, you know, when you become, <laughs> when you become a doctor, you do it because you want to take care of sick people. And so the approach in obstetrics is a bit more focused on what could go wrong, how to prevent things from going wrong and how to treat them when they do. Midwives, we also learn, of course, how to look out for things going wrong and how to treat them when they do. But the approach is much more, I would say, holistic and focused on the pregnant person as a human being and the experience of pregnancy and birth as an experience. And so we are trained to support the natural process and to help women learn about the natural process and make it a safe and a really good experience for the entire family. That's our focus. You're right in the sense that, you know, all the testing that happens, all the um, the medical tests that we do, the screening, you and I do all the same things, right? We all, we both screen our patients for gestational diabetes. We both screen our patients for infections. But I because I take care mostly, because midwives in general take care mostly of women who are at low risk for medical complications, we have more of an opportunity to provide the woman an experience that allows the process to be more natural, I guess, and to allow it to happen without intervention. Right. And I think there's a lot of important things you said there, and I definitely want to unpack it. And one of the first things is, and uh, this is something that you know, is, is obvious to, to you and to me, but maybe not to everyone out there is, you know, a lot of the things you were talking about, you know, someone would say about a doula, for example, who's a labor support person, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, midwifery is, is way different from a doula from being a support person because doulas are essentially, yeah, there's some training, but basically they're just there to, you know, support, to help, to, you know, make you feel better, put you in different positions, you know, maybe, exactly. maybe give you a little bit of support, uh, you know, on, on nursing or whatever, but midwifery are trained, you know, medically, and you yes. are trained in terms of the complications and what to do and how to, you know, screen for them and look for them and recognize them. And so that when you're describing sort of that, you know, supportive, normal labor, normal process approach, that's not just being there to support, but it's also in the context of, you know, making sure everything is healthy and safe and what. So that's Absolutely. just, a, yeah, that's just an important thing to, you know, to That's state. a great point, Nady. Yeah, because I think people do get a, a lot, there is a lot of confusion about the difference between midwives and doulas. And you've said it exactly right. Doulas are trained to support women through contractions, essentially, how to cope with the lab, with labor and contractions. But they are not trained in how to manage complications like postpartum hemorrhage or hypertension. And they're also not trained in in performing a delivery. Right. 
they don't get in there. So while midwives do as much as possible to support the natural process, we are also ready to intervene when necessary. When there is a postpartum hemorrhage, we know what to do. When there is a shoulder dystocia, we know what to do. So it's almost the best of both worlds. Right. And I, and I do think another important point is, you know, you were describing a lot sort of the differences philosophically between midwifery and obstetrics, medical school, or whatever it is, so to speak. And I think there's definitely a, a different philosophy in terms of the approach that it comes from. Like you said, for midwifery, the assumption is we're going to support someone through a normal process. And from obstetrics, it's really how do we deal with when the process is abnormal or maybe right. needs to be pushed in a different direction. And that's philosophical. But the important thing is, you know, number one is in practice, you may not always notice a difference. For example, mm -hmm. if, if, you know, if I'm taking care of someone on the labor floor and you're taking care of someone on the labor, labor floor, you may not be able to pick out which one of us is a midwife or which one of us is a doctor unless someone just mm -hmm. assumed I wasn't a midwife because I'm a man, which isn't, does not have to be true, but let's say they made that right. assumption. Other than that, you wouldn't necessarily know probably 90% of the time. And part of that is because in a ideal model, you and I learn from each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, in an ideal model, I am as an obstetrician and a, am able to sort of help support women through a normal process and not over medicalize it or not make it something, you know, very, quote unquote, you know, sterile and cold or this or that but, you know, would be, the yes. you know, sort of the assumptions that doctors would do. And on the flip side, you know, you would be in an environment where you would have, you know, either uh, expertise in or you would have, you know, the ability to, to talk with or speak to or get help from doctors in case something really bad did happen. You know, there was severe preeclampsia exactly. or whatever. And so in those models where we learn from each other, patients really can get the best of both worlds, almost regardless of who they see. Yes, that's the collaborative care model. There's even a model at UCSF, the University of California at San Francisco. The midwives there are the ones who train the residents in normal birth. That, that's what they're hired for, and that is their role. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's a really, it's a wonderful way to collaborate. Right, I mean, I remember um, when I- we do some of that, I was going to say we do some of that when we work together at Mount Sinai. Um, there are often interns and medical students who ask to observe midwifery birth so that they can see a difference in focus. Right. Absolutely. I remember when I was training and at the time, uh, Dr. Joanna Schulman, who was our residency yes. director, would always encourage the students and the residents to attend some of the midwife births. And she said, you're going to learn so much about normal birth from mm -hmm. you know being with one of the midwives. And you can learn that from being an op with an obstetrician as well, but you may learn different ways to approach things, both, yeah. you know, physically or also just the way people speak to one another. I mean, just, you know, when people come at it from different angles, you're going to learn a lot of different things if you are diverse in your training. Absolutely. And she always encouraged us to do that. And it's interesting because there are definitely a lot of different models. Like you said, you know, at UCSF, the midwives are specifically there to train a normal delivery. I know at Mount Sinai, there is a separate midwifery service and a separate OB service, but really there's so much work together on the same yeah. group that it's almost hard to pick them apart one from another. And mm -hmm. at other places, they are very separate. And sometimes the midwives have their own area, like a birth center, for example, where it's really just them. Yes. And, yep. and there's a lot of different 
options. And so when people are considering, you know, whether to be cared for by a midwife or an obstetrician, it's not just the person's training or the letters after their name. It's also what kind of model are they in? What right. kind of system are they a part of? And that's something that I think a lot of people wouldn't understand. Yeah, that's a very good point. Where you give birth can have a huge effect on your experience. If it's in the hospital versus a childbearing center outside of the hospital versus at home. Um, and that makes a huge difference. There are a lot more options and a lot more ways to support the natural process if you're not in a hospital setting. Right. So, I mean, for example, someone said, I want to deliver with a midwife and I want to deliver in a bathtub. Mm-hmm. Okay. They they can't come to Sinai, whether they have a midwife right. or not. They just don't have bathtubs, right? It doesn't exist. Exactly. And so it's it's not just the provider. And how would people figure that out? I mean, how would they even seek those opportunities out? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I guess it's a matter of being, having access to information. It's a matter of culture too. I mean, in, in our culture, birth has become very medicalized and people assume that you have to go to the hospital to give birth. Not many people know that it's possible to give birth in a birthing center or that it's safe to give birth at home with a qualified midwife. My own sister, <laughs> when she became pregnant, called me up and said, I'm so excited and I have an appointment with my OBGYN next week. And I said, why? <laughs> why, why? Why are you excited? Uh, why are you pregnant? Or why, are you why, why are you seeing an OB? <laughs> In American culture, birth has become medicalized and hospital birth has become the norm. And so I there really are the opportunities to give birth outside of the hospital are few and far between, unfortunately. I worked in a childbearing center outside of the hospital for five years before I came to Mount Sinai. It was an incredible experience and it's one of the options I think that can truly benefit women because you have the best of both worlds. You have a home-like atmosphere that truly supports the natural process, but you have trained midwives with a good plan for transfer should that become necessary. Right. And I think that that's the one thing that gets lost in a lot of the discussions, sometimes debates, and sometimes arguments over this concept of either birth centers or home births and these ideas is it's way different if it's being done sort of rogue versus being done in a collaborative system. Exactly. And it's just, it's night and day. And so when people try to compare home births or birth center births in, in certain places, let's say the U.S. versus you know, England, for example, it's mm-hmm. really not a fair comparison because... You are absolutely right about that. You're so right about that. Midwives in the United Kingdom are fully integrated into the healthcare system and home birth is fully integrated into the healthcare system. So there is no rogue home birth. All midwives receive the same standardized training and have absolute access to emergency care should it be needed. Whereas here, home birth in some places is actually illegal and demonized. And so midwives who attend birth at home are discouraged from transferring when they need to be. And transfer can be a very difficult experience for both the woman, the birthing woman, and the midwife. And that definitely increases the risk. If it's not safe, it's, it's if it's perceived as not safe to give birth in the hospital, midwives and women are going to be less likely to go in time. It's a very difficult thing. I and mean, the data has been looked at all over the place. And mm-hmm. essentially, 
what everyone agrees on or should agree on because the data is very clear is that for the vast majority of women, pretty much whatever they do, they will end up with a healthy mom, healthy baby with delivery. Yeah. So that's whether they deliver in a hospital, a birth center, or at home. As long as mm -hmm. you know, there's someone taking care of them, they will do fine. And yeah. so because as of that- As long as there's someone qualified correct, taking care right. of them. If there's someone yeah. taking care of them. And so because of that, there's this idea like, okay, if most people are gonna do well, then they should be able to deliver at home if that's what they prefer. Now, listen, some people mm -hmm. prefer not to deliver at home, which is fine too, but if that's what they yes. prefer, great. But the issue is there is a percentage of the time where it doesn't go well, which everyone knows about. It could be infection. It could be something concerning about the baby's heart rate, the labors and progressing properly. There's bleeding, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be, there's something that could go wrong. And the question is, okay, if you're in the hospital, anything you might need or any person you might need or any procedure you might need physically right there. Mm -hmm. If you're at a birth center, generally the birth centers are built physically to be next to, attached to, or nearby mm -hmm. a hospital where they have those things. And okay, so maybe it's not in the exact same hallway, but it's just a wheelchair ride or a bed ride, you know, down the hall, up an elevator, yes. and then you're there. With a home birth, it would involve calling an ambulance and being transported to a hospital. Right. And if you're in a situation where that's not coordinated in advance, it's going to be an issue with time, right? Because it could exactly. be it could be an hour or two before that actually happens. Right. And when the when someone comes there, it's almost like reinventing the wheel. Who are you? Who is this? Yes. What's going on? Do we trust you? Yes. And then it becomes a whole mess. Whereas if it's a system where, okay, I'm going to labor at home, but if it if there's a problem, I'm gonna come and everyone's like, okay, we're ready for you, and it's 10 minutes, whatever, then yeah, you wouldn't expect there to be any issues. It should go well. Right. And and we don't have that in the US. Or we at least don't. at least nowhere that I know of reliably. I think maybe in the Northwest there's a couple places that have a pretty good system, but really mm -hmm. basically no, certainly not in New York. And that's why it becomes so hard. To, to encourage home births when we don't have that system set up, we really yeah. should be encouraging setting up a system and then it yes, can happen. exactly. A huge important part of this also is screening for home birth, making sure that the woman does not have risk factors that would, that would increase the risk of something bad happening at home. When I worked at the childbearing center, our screening was very, very rigorous, and we would not accept women for birth if they were anemic, for example, or mm -hmm. if they were diabetic, or if they had hypertension. None of those women were qualified to deliver outside of the hospital. Right, just because so many of them would end up needing to go back to the because hospital, it's not worth risk. it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when you're collaborating, when there's true collaboration between out-of-hospital midwifery and hospital birth, the outcomes are the same. The outcomes are exactly the same. You would expect them to be. I mean, that's that's what yeah. the, da the data out of Europe shows that they're the same. And the data out of New York shows that they're not the same. And it's right. not because midwives are better there or doctors and midwives are worse hair or whatever it is. It's it's just they have a system set up. They're ready for this. And we're, right. we're, and we're our not. Culture, our culture has not foster that system. Our culture, the culture of obstetrics in this country has pretty much demonized midwifery. It's That's an extreme saying, but it's mm -hmm. true. We've put birth into the hospital and we've medicalized it to a point where home birth cannot be integrated into the system. I don't think it's impossible. I, I do think that it is possible. 
um, especially since it has been done so well in other countries. But it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of collaboration. Have you seen any changes in this over, let's say, the past 10, 15 years, either that idea of midwifery being demonized or put aside? Is that getting better? Is that getting worse? I have not really seen much of a change, to be honest with you. Um, And it is geographic. I I live and work in New York City. There are a lot of midwives here. Uh, There are actually a lot of home birth midwives in New York City that do a lot of very, very good work. But if you go outside of New York City, if you go to the Midwest, it's very much a hospital birth culture. And nurse midwives practice differently from the way that we practice. In what way? There, It is a lot more medical and a lot more nursing is a lot, a much bigger part of the midwifery culture. They function almost like obstetricians in a way. I mean, I would say more. Uh, they do also collaborate, but I, I could be wrong about this, but it's see it, it, because midwifery is regulated by the states, mm-hmm. it really different. It, it differs between states. So, for example, in some states, midwives have prescriptive privileges and are much more autonomous. In other states, midwives do not have prescriptive privileges and are required to be "Quote unquote," supervised by a uh, by a physician. Right. When you say prescriptive privileges, you mean the ability to write prescriptions, prescribe medications, medications. Exactly. Well. So meaning they're considered yeah. sort of you know healthcare providers Independent versus providers. Exactly. Right. Got it. It's really fascinating because if you look at studies about births that are you know overseen by midwives or at least uh, intended to be overseen by midwives, obviously something could change if there's an issue and they need to do a C-section or whatnot, and it gets mm-hmm. you know sort of uh, handed off to, to an OBGYN. The outcomes are really good, if not better, than if mm-hmm. taken care for of an obstetrician. There's a lot of data on that, and you know some of it is hard to interpret because in general midwives are going to start out with lower risk women than right. obstetricians would. So it's hard sometimes to tease out, you know, when you see a study that says, oh, the midwives have a lower C-section rate. Well, it could be because indeed you're more, you know, tolerant of longer labors and, you know, let things progress naturally and that would lead to lower C-section rate, which is for sure, you know, plausible. It's mm-hmm. also possible that maybe, you know, midwives sort of get women who are lower risk for C-sections to begin with and that's part of it. And it could be a combination, obviously, but mm-hmm. certainly the data shows that, you know, being cared for by a midwife is at least as good, if not better. It's not worse. That's yeah. for sure. Well, I think part of it also, you're absolutely right. Part of it is that we do start out with women who are at lower risk. But in many places, we don't. Our practice here at Mount Sinai, we do care for women who have some underlying medical issues. And our C-section rate is much lower than the doctor's at Mount Sinai or then Mount Sinai is in general. Part of it, I believe, also is that the use of interventions can sometimes, when they're not necessary, can create problems. For mm-hmm. example, unnecessary inductions of labor. Can, when a woman's body is not ready, can increase the risk of a woman's a woman needing a C-section or an operative delivery or um, you know the use of pitocin when it's not necessary can increase fetal the risk of fetal distress which can then need, it's basically what we call a, the domino effect a cascade of interventions mm-hmm. you start with one intervention and you need more and more interventions and if you leave most women alone they will do well and i think that's 
where our focus is, is really avoiding interventions unless they're necessary. So I want to jump into that for one second, because Mm -hmm. I know that you know (laughs) that that there was that big study recently in the ARRIVE trial showing no increased risk of C-section with inductions. And I'm not I'm not a part of the ARRIVE trial. I've, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not an author. I wasn't part of the research. You know, I'm just someone who read it like you did. And I have my own thoughts about it, which I'm more than happy to share. But I'm curious, so how would you or maybe some of your colleagues who, you know, traditionally everyone has always said, if you induce labor, you have a higher risk of a C-section. Mm-hmm. But this was a, you know, really big study done in multiple centers where they, you know, induced half the women and didn't induce the other half. And it was randomized, yeah. the whole thing. And there wasn't a difference in, C- difference in C-section rates. So how would, you know, how would you guys respond to that? Is it that, well, you know, it's, it's different or, you know, we don't buy it or how would, you know, how do you approach something like that? Yeah, I have to say that the ARRIVE trial did cause some turmoil turmoil in the world of midwifery um, because it was a well-done study and it did seem to indicate that inducing women at 39 weeks not only does not increase your risk of C-section, but improves outcomes, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Certain outcomes, yeah. Um, I think a lot of midwives would say that what we're looking at here is not only C-section rates. Mm-hmm. And what we're, what we're looking at is the experience of labor and delivery. And what do women want from labor and delivery? What value do you put on the sense of triumph a woman feels when she achieves an unmedicated birth mm-hmm. on her own? What difference does that make in her life? How empowered does that make her feel? Is there a way to measure that? I don't know. And I think that most of the midwifery community's response is about that. It's not only about is there a risk of C-section or is not a risk of C-section. What is this experience like for a woman? She, This is probably one of the most important experiences of her lifetime. What does she want from this? Does she want to be lying in a bed the entire time with an IV in her arm on the monitor, numb, waiting? Or does she want to be actively participating in the process? It's, it, it's a completely different experience. And that's something that has not been accounted for. Right. I totally agree. And I think, you know, I, I know a lot of the authors of the study. I'm sure they would agree as well. I don't think that that's, mm-hmm. you know, something they would, you know, uh, debate about. And because clearly what women want is important. And that's, that's a, yeah. a, you know, that this study was not designed for that. But I do think another part of it, which is interesting, is that when when these studies are done, and it's a very well-known thing, that behaviors of the providers are different when they know they're in a study. And things mm. are much things are much tighter. Everyone's being watched. There's something called the Hawthorne effect, uh, where people are sort of doing things differently. And so it's entirely possible that while in a study like this, all of the providers were being very tolerant of labor, similar yeah. to how a midwife would be. You know, okay, yes. listen, we can't just do a section for no reason. Like we're being studied here. You know, we're you know, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily conscious. It's it's sometimes like okay, this we're all doing this. Like we're buying into this idea, and we're going to find out what it is, and so we're going to behave a certain way. And in that study, indeed, they had pretty long labors, uh, maybe not two or three days, but they were longer than you would see often. And yeah. it's possible you take something like that into practice you know, out in the communities that a lot of doctors would not be as tolerant 
of, you know, inducing and waiting and letting it and letting it happen. And it's possible that doing this in a community would increase the risk of a C-section, which is what sort of we all kind of thought happened or, you know, experience was. And that's another thing that what we see in studies doesn't always translate into what happens, you know, when it's implemented. And possibly that's another reason. But who knows? It's hard with this stuff. And and ultimately, well, I, think, you know, I think you're right about that. I think people also, before this study was done, there was a, a shift in obstetrics away from using the Friedman curve. Mm-hmm. And the defining active labor as six centimeters or more rather than four centimeters or more and understanding that labor can sometimes take longer. And so this study was done once that shift, I think, had already happened. And there was a greater understanding that inductions do take longer and so you do have to be more patient. So the ARRIVE trial took place in this setting once the shift had already been made. Right. And that may have affected it as well. Absolutely possible. Now, Lauren, you your practice setting right now is, as we said, you're no longer uh, an administrator. You're, mm-hmm. you're, yes. you're, you're with patients every day. You're in, you know, a lot of time, at least your labor practice is in a hospital setting on an academic, you know, tertiary care center labor floor. You work side by side with people like me, like OBGYNs and maternal field medicine specialists and, you know, residents and medical students. And so you're in sort of that medical setting has that affected the way you practice midwifery? Do you feel like it's it's maybe geared you a little bit more towards the medical side or has it sort of made you appreciate gearing away from the medical side? How has it affected you? I came to Mount Sinai from the out-of-hospital birthing center where we did not have epidurals, we did not have Pitocin. Everything was natural. All the births were natural. And to be honest, it was a difficult adjustment for me to move into the hospital setting. I think it's a little bit of both. I feel really strongly, I continue to feel very strongly that I will not intervene in a labor unless it's necessary. But that is difficult to maintain when you're working on a busy labor floor where it's crowded and rooms are at a premium and there is a lot of pressure to quote unquote actively manage labor, Mm -hmm. which essentially, you know, many obstetricians would define as rupturing membranes using Pitocin to speed the labor up and get it moving faster. I work very hard and will continue to have had many arguments with some of the physicians on the floor about intervening before I believe it's necessary. And that is sometimes a a constant tension there. Since I've been at Sinai for so long, and since many of the attendings, to be honest, grew up as residents while I was there and understand the way I practice, and, and trust me, many of them don't harass me to rupture my patients before I want to. There is sometimes that tension between the hands-off approach and the approach that I understand, which is, you know, you you have to get these people through because we have people sitting in the chairs waiting to be admitted. It's not an easy situation. So I think that I have I try my best to maintain my midwifery practice and my midwifery focus on the woman. It's not always possible. 
And it's also not always possible because I also do take care of women who aren't low risk. In, right. in our setting, many of our women do have underlying conditions and the midwives in our service are trained to manage women who have some of these conditions and you can't always be hands-off. Many of our women do require induction for hypertension or for diabetes or for other medical reasons and so it isn't always possible to, to do that. It's a mix. I do truly enjoy the times when I have a woman come in who does not want a medicated birth and I can help her and support her through that. And she has a perfectly uncomplicated labor that progresses on its own and she can push in whatever position she wants to. Um, I remember attending a birth once where the woman was lying on her side and a medical student came in to observe and he asked me, is she allowed to give birth like that? <laughs> <laughs> the police are and coming. I, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was a wonderful opportunity to show, you know, first of all, to teach a medical student that it's not about what the woman is allowed or not allowed to do. And that, yes, you can pretty much give birth in any position you want. Right. And I think that there's so much in our training, and this is true with doctors, this is true with nurses. And, you know, there's this idea that, you know, the way I do it is the right way, the best way. And mm -hmm. it's just sort of, you know, it's a natural byproduct of studying so hard and training so hard and doing these experiences and whatnot. But I think it's, yeah. it's so valuable uh, at least I found it so valuable to work you know, on a labor floor that includes midwives mm -hmm. because everyone really gets to see that my way isn't the only way. That's true for me seeing other doctors, of course, and it's right. true for me seeing midwives and to realize that there are a lot of different ways to do this. And it's hard to know sometimes, is there a best way for any particular person? And if so, which one is the best way? And it's hard to know that, but it, it number one, opens your eyes to different uh, options. Number two, mm -hmm. it definitely creates a little bit of humility to realize yes. that, you know, I don't know everything from everything. And there's a lot of really smart, really good providers doing things differently for me. And that's, yes. that's a, an important lesson. But it's also just the idea of the culture. I mean, when I hear about all this, you know, tension between, you know, obstetricians and midwives and whatnot, it's so it's really foreign to me, actually, because mm -hmm. you know, I've been I've been working with midwives in some capacity for my whole career, and I never yeah. thought of it in any sort of combative way. I mean, yeah, we, you know, most of us get along great. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I mean, it we really work together to so nicely. Yep. It's a great it's it a great too. system. It's a great system, and the learning goes both ways. When I first came to Mount Sinai, I was I was a younger midwife and I had worked out of the hospital and I had a real bias, to be honest, against epidurals. I believed they prolonged labor and I would try to encourage women not to get them. And I learned over time, first of all, my job is to be with the woman where she is. And if she wants an epidural and requires an epidural for her labor, that's her choice. But I also learned that there, an epidural is a tool, for example, that can be used really well to help a woman progress in her labor. She's very tense with the pain. It can help her relax. I learned to use the medical tools and incorporate them into my midwifery practice and not to shut the door on them. Do you find that do some of your colleagues in midwifery feel differently about you because you're in a hospital setting? <laughs> 
They might not admit it to my face, but probably. <laughs> so, there's somewhere probably. they're tweeting about you without you knowing about it. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, they would call me a medwife, probably. Ooh, oh, um, dear. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but to be honest, Nady, I have truly, even though it was a bit of an adjustment coming from the birthing center, over the years, I've truly enjoyed the opportunity to learn more about medicine because I practice in a medical setting. And one of my favorite parts of my job right now is working in the high-risk clinic side by side with the MFMs because I've learned so much about diabetes and about hypertension and about unusual medical conditions that many midwives might not ever get to manage. And I get to bring my version of midwifery care to women who might not actually ever get to see a midwife because they are medically complicated. And so I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to do that in the setting. Right. And it really goes both ways. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm quote unquote a high risk obstetrician, but what I tell you know, women. And when I'm on the labor floor, it's, it's almost never high risk in terms of the delivery. It's the pregnancy mm-hmm. that's high risk. Once they're in labor, you know, it's like for almost it's everyone, it's, the same. it's like everyone yeah. else. And so, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, Andre or Barbara, I say, you know, channeling my inner midwife. And so, we, yes. you know, we're very, we try to be as, you know, hands off as possible. Like you said, there's some constraints with a hospital system and time and this. Okay, fine. But in terms of just like, you said like pushing in any position somebody wants or have an epidural or don't have an epidural or just to just have that more natural, relaxed, supportive uh, mentality during labor is something that we do learn from our midwife colleagues and do appreciate. And listen, Andre married a midwife, so, you know, he's got to appreciate that in some some regard. And I think that, like you said, it's, it's something that's really been valuable to me to have that training and experience and just camaraderie with that can, you know, bounce things off of one of the midwives say, Hey, what would you do? What do you think? And these relationships are so important and that's how you build collaborative models. You know, if someone views, you know, if a midwife views the doctor as the other and the doctor views the midwife as the other, then yeah, you'll Mm -hmm. you'll never build these collaborative models because nobody trusts one another. But I completely agree with you. But by being together and and working together. Yeah. Yeah. We are so lucky to have been able to work with your practice. Your practice truly does understand the value of minimizing interventions, even though you are MFMs and take care of women who often need those interventions. Um, you, You truly do understand that. And not all practices do. Many, many practices who are isolated from midwifery or don't practice in environments that are that foster minimizing interventions. There are many doctors that practice at Sinai they don't share that philosophy. And, and I think they're unfortunately in the majority in this country. But there's a lot of potential here. You know, I think the ideal practice in many ways is a collaborative practice between a midwife and an MFM. Yep. I, I listen, I, I think that's fantastic. As you know, we've had midwives in our practice. They, yes. They, mm-hmm. worked, they worked on the labor floor. I, you know, I don't, it, it's complicated also with hospital and the privileges in this. Yeah. Our, yep. our, our, our patients weren't there yet. You know, they weren't yeah, really ready yeah. for it. And uh, maybe hopefully one day they will be. I mean, listen, Lauren, I, as you know, I adore you and I love working with you and seeing you and hanging out with you and learning so from it's you completely yeah. mutual. <laughs> and, and your colleagues. <laughs> I, I'm so happy you came on today to talk about, you know, midwifery. And it's such an important topic. And it's something that women who are pregnant or considering being pregnant should really think about what it is they want and what it is, what their options are. And some of that may be limited geographically, but some of it 
might not be. And obviously, I look forward to seeing you and working with you for a long time. Same here, Nady. And I so appreciate the opportunity to come on your program and talk about midwifery and hopefully share some facts with people who didn't, who weren't aware before. So I truly appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www. Dot healthfulwoman.com. That's H E A L T H F U L W O M A N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.